the theme for the evening talk is engagement with the day. Uh, initially, I would like to uh, speak a little bit about the days uh, here, go over with you some of the threads and the themes which could turn the I think it should be right at this point. Uh, to go over with you some of the no, you can turn the speaker down a little bit for me, please. Can do the volume. The volume. Having to listen to oneself once is enough, twice is too much. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks. And so in taking some of the threads and the themes of the daily life uh, uh, situation here first and then extend it to... So in the exposure here there has been uh, the field of the, the form, we might say, which has uh, included uh, noticeably sitting, walking, standing and reclining. With the encouragement in the day-to-day -day circumstances here to give some degree of uh, priority to that so that the, the, the body acts as a fairly useful kind of uh, reference point for presence and for, for being. We also emphasize to a great deal not only um, being here and now but being here and now and witnessing and noticing the events which are taking place in, in the here and now circumstances and therefore it was accompanied with uh, a practice of contributing to uh, calmness and uh, relaxation without that meaning a kind of slump in the frame or the skeleton of the body. It also included giving care and uh, attention to the, the movement of the inner life what essentially that has uh, meant for us is that at times there has been moments of clear sustained uh, focus and the sense of uh, presence there and there has been of course the departure from that focus and steadiness and therefore allowing the movements of the mind to take place and those uh, movements of the mind with all the content and that which might be taking place in it, however, is of course carrying a motivation and intention. And it can be uh, a useful and skillful device in knowing ourselves that when there is strong movement of the mind, as much as possible, picking up and seeing quite clearly what kind of intention or motivation is going on in it, particularly where things matter to us. And if there is uh, something unskillful in terms of selfishness, greed, negativity, thoughts of re revenge, fear or whatever, and the motivation reveals that, then to be honest enough and clear enough to know that that is going on. Also in the departure, departures from the here and now 
situation. We have also uh, noticed that the movement is taking place and in the uh, movement that's taking place sometimes of course a great deal of identification has accompanied it and therefore further waves taking place. The waves then take, take place, they run through us and at times it's been impossible just to observe the waves. And when it's impossible, then of course we don't have any real choice and we are obliged and it might produce feelings of helplessness of just going along with all that's going on in, inside of oneself and all the unhappiness or difficulty, conflict or confusion. All waves, of course, no matter what the strength, do rise and therefore do fall. It's then important that in the falling and the passing that one sees if there is any residue which is left. The residue can matter a great deal more than the wave. So there might be a wave as one example of agitation. From the agitation, it's around the circumstance in one's life. At the end of that, the wave's gone, it might be just left some image, some picture which is coloured or negative or whatever and that's the one that can be carried. When it's carried, it will affect very directly the relationship with that person or place or environment. If it's, the more tightly it's carried in the mind after the event, one will be then unfailingly in a way look at similar situations through the residue, through the image. So there's the wave, there's a, a, a summary of the wave which the mind forms, it, it, it sticks around, it glues and then it affects how we relate to that person or situation. If we've clung to it strongly it begins to affect the next situation sooner or later. And this movement, and noticing and working with it, is the engagement, one of the engagements, of course, which we have with day-to-day -day life. It can be too much to expect of ourselves that we should be able to resolve all of these things going on in ourselves. And there is a great deal of uh, wisdom around, and clarity, and... <coughs> outer support as well as inner support so to speak it's as though two people or a group of people are looking at a problematic situation simultaneously one is doing it from the inside and one is or, or more is doing it from the outside and the clear shedding of light upon the problem from the inner and the outer with the express intention to dissolve it so as I say, sometimes we ask too much of ourselves and therefore the inner and outer factor, as it were, challenging a structure which is difficult or painful in every direction possible for its dissolution. In this engagement that goes on, we have also uh, referred and spoken to the about the meditations themselves, of course, and... With the process of the meditation, it shows itself in the capacity to watch and to witness. 
same thing to, to actually watch or to actually uh, witness. And basically it's saying in a way it, how valuable it is in life to be able, for the consciousness to be able to stay steady in situations where it can easily become unsteady. And the movement of the consciousness making it steady or unsteady quite often is pleasure and pain. That which unsettles the conscious most quickly and most easily. And therefore, at times, there is even a sacrifice of the fields of pleasure for the stabilizing of the consciousness. And what that means is that sometimes we might get uh, kind of the rush of excitement or the uh, pursuit for the acquisition of or whatever, things which give a strong, pleasurable, intense sensation and it might be necessary for some to find ways to stay steady, even that which exhilarates. And just finding a steadiness with it. And sometimes, some situations uh, in, in life, it's well worth while practicing. It is the loss temporary loss of pleasure. It's the temporary loss of excitement. But if we stay steady with it, have faith uh, with it, that steadiness, that consciousness steadying itself will get deeper and it's deepening, joy will come. Unsought for, naturally. The organism will produce it, will generate it, will let, it will flow. And the ordinary everyday things of life which we don't have an interest to own, or possess, or have, the sunset, the, uh, the flowers, the loveliness of the day, this and that, all of that, there'll be a receptivity to a relationship of joy and happiness without having to get for oneself. But as I say, sometimes the pleasure has to be sacrificed. Similarly with the, with the, with the pain which uh, uh, arises, as well, or the agitation, or the, uh, the fears. And in some situations, as, an, as um, an example of what I mean, television itself um, can be a, a, a good resource for meditation, whether it's switched on or switched off. <laughs> and in its switched on uh, mode, the, the world of the, the media and uh, the, uh, uh, the arts quite often, of course, will and do try to play on um, um, emotions and sometimes the emotions of, of fear uh, or, or anger or whatever. And it can be useful to make it a practice of learning to be conscious and steady in the face of something. When we know the tendency is to impose, as it were, reality upon it in such a way that it's it's making us fearful. And of course we know with horror films is one small uh, uh, example. And if I may say on that point with my uh, 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 daughter and those of you who have uh, teenage, teenagers know that they go, one hopes it's a short period, through a period of wanting to watch horror films. And so the agreement, because of the impact it can have in the, in the emotional life, in 
sparking and triggering fears, we had an, uh, an agreement. And that agreement was that, yes, she could bring home the horror film, put the video uh, on or whatever, and all lights in the room were on. And she had to sit, we did together, with a, uh, not cross-legged, of course, <laughs> though would have been my preference, uh, in, in the chair and just watch. And, and when the, oh God, like this came through, just to watch and to be steady, remember to breathe, it's only a film. <laughs> <laughs> and when I felt the, uh, the, the, the fear of what it, it was coming up, and then I would give a commentary. I wonder where the camera light is at this point. <laughs> All of it helping to diffuse. <laughs> and obviously those who laugh loudest should, must go home tomorrow and do the same. And, but all taking the fear out of the situation. Being able to observe, look, acknowledge, appreciate, fearlessly, fearlessly, fearless, fearlessly. And it was noticeable that sometimes when our mates and some of the teenagers, especially some of the uh, uh, teen, teenage boys, for all their bravado, were cringing. I could watch them cringing in there. Then the children just watching, well, it's just a film. Why are you making such a fuss? Et cetera. So using practice, as I say, using instruments of life which can affect us, learning consciousness to stay steady so that we're not afraid of what occurs. And as someone pointed out today in the, in, in, in the go-around, some people are extraordinarily able in the interaction with life to deal with things and you and I might say, God, how does he do it? How does she do it? How do they, how do, they do it? All sorts of things. We're so impressed in the way that they can deal with life and death situations, dramatic uh, situations, and yet something else which seems so much more minor and less significant and less dram dramatic, it can provoke for the same person all manner of fears and worries and uh, agitations and, and excitement. So it just varies, obviously, from person to person. But we've got to be willing in the interaction with our being with life to be willing to practice, practice, exploring, exploring that where the heat is on, that where it's most difficult to say, right, that's where quietly, firmly, as a practice where I need to go. And you and I don't have to look for it, we don't have to go and climb the north face of the Eiger or somewhere in the Himalayas to, to see what that would be like for fear. There's plenty enough arising in day-to-day -day life. And it's in the circumstances of day-to-day -day life. In the movement of this engagement from one thing to the other, knowing ourselves in this movement is, if we don't learn from it, this is said often and frequently enough, we are doomed to repeat history. If we don't learn, we repeat. And the difficulty for perhaps for all of us is that once having gone through a difficult situation where the heat is, is on, 
then it passes, then it may be some residue or not. But, as it were, one wants to get on with one's life and get that behind me. But that's what we do, metaphorically and actually. We get a problematic situation, just get it behind me, get it into the past, so I can get on with one's life. But it doesn't recede often that easily. And if we're thinking of getting something behind us, then we are putting this albatross on our back. And come similar situation, we'll be weighed down with what we've got behind us. It's almost as though Dharma teaching is saying, nothing behind us, let's get it out front and look at it. And therefore, in a post-difficult period, when there is some sense of moving on from, often, often, there is still some aspects of it which can provide insight, which really can see, and we might really will need to check in with oneself. Given similar circumstances, do I know I won't do the same? Do I actually know that I'm not just going to repeat the history? And if we attend to ourselves and listen to ourselves carefully, we will know. We'll know. We'll know if there's clinging there. We'll know if we're still holding on. We'll know if we're still carrying the same set of beliefs. We'll know if we're still identifying with pressure which triggered the fear or triggered the anger or, or whatever. So the attending to ourselves is keeping some time and attention in our day-to-day -day life through our own awareness, through the awareness of, of friends, to that which where there's pressure or tension and listening attentively to it because they are some of the most clear signals that we're carrying. So we pass through the experience, what's left. We try not to carry that kind of impression which is going to affect future perceptions. And if necessary and appropriate, turning the attention right back to that situation and looking at it and see, well, what happened in it? What was the participation in it? What was the effect upon me? What was I neglecting through the process? What was I neglecting to see or to work with or whatever? All of that serves as the raw material for understanding and for a very practical uh, wisdom. So that we actually feel and experience inside of ourselves a certain kind of learning and knowing and um, inner strength which comes, uh, given a situation which is very similar, we actually have got the skills to work effectively with it. We actually sense we've got the skills to work with it. Instead of, oh my God, I've got to deal with this one again. It's, the sense of it is much more from the standpoint of challenge. Not of fear. Not of avoidance. Not of looking at it in problematic terms. But the sense is, it's a challenge to handle this situation very well and very skillfully. And then we'll have 
interest in the thoughts, as we heard today in the inquiry, interest in the attitude, interest in the action. And so, let, what is the way to deal with this situation wisely? What, what does it mean to deal with this situation skillfully? And we ask that question to ourselves, and we ask again, because we're appealing, in fact, to the deepest level of intelligence to bring it through. Otherwise, we're just going to be caught on the conditioning of the ideas, the old formative patterns, the old ways of doing the same old thing, because we have not, and are not, taken the real trouble to say, well, what's... What is the wisdom in this situation? What is it to really be attentive and to handle this, this one as a Buddha would handle it? As a liberated human being would handle it? As someone that you love and respect uh, would handle it or whatever uh, is inspiring and encouraging? Or what would, what, would, what would it be to handle it in which I pay the greatest respect to uh, myself as a human being? Whatever inspires and carries. So then we actually can if we listen and we ask well enough and slowly enough and uh, quietly and repetitively enough. We'll actually find something will be responding which is not of the conditioning. We can't quite explain where that depth is coming from or what the background or the origin of it, but it seems like a resource quite different from the mental, mechanical, habitual conditioning that moves us to look this way and view this way and think that way and be blind this way and arrogant this way and caught up that way. And all of that is not very deep actually. It's not very, it's, it's, it, frankly it's painfully shallow. <laughs> and that's where the meditation and the awarenesses and the receptivities and the inquiry and the interest it's touching something which is coming as it were from somewhere else and the sense is that in its coming from somewhere else it's not coming from the past it's like it's a resource which is somehow emerging out of the present we ask in the present, we listen to it, we attend it, and it comes out of the present, for the present. And it's natural, and it's at ease with, with existence. And we don't therefore feel we're being pushed and pulled along by past, invading our present, invading our present, till we collapse into it, or what it collapse, or whatever. In this engagement with life, or contributing to um, uh, uh, liberation, for some, as much as the working on the life in the ways, and other, many other ways, of course, that I just referred to, what's also and equally important is there is the working on oneself and the contribution that we can make and others can make and we make and we make together but it won't be fulfilling for us just to be in the mode of consistently working on ourselves 
with a lot of effort or without too much effort or whatever. But more importantly than all of that, which is also equally transformative, is the receptive to something which is not just of the mind's creation, not just of the mind's event. And for some, the language itself is a reminder and a support, <clears throat> and for others, it's a hindrance. And we have to know ourselves with regard to that. As, for example, Rami, for some, listening to the word God brings an interest, uh, a receptivity, a curiosity, a sense of wonder, uh, and it's as though in that moment of uh, interest in, in God, our kind of personal uh, life kind of matters less, and, it's so, and somehow consciousness for some is enlarged, enlarged uh, expands a little bit in interest. Where there is that kind of appreciation or fee feeling for, it's not only that it opens out the consciousness, and for some the sense of the presence of God is, uh, br brings a beautiful expanded sense of existence, uh, and it draws out of the cells a, a feeling of wonder or, or mystery or whatever. And what we forget, or can forget, is that the access to the, the sense or the presence of, of God, in its ex expanded sense, has a wonderfully beneficial influence on putting our life into perspective. It's not only, as it were, we reach to God, but also, and as the mystics have pointed out, that... God also simultaneously reaches to us. And in that meeting, the ultimate truth of things called God, the relative truth, our interaction with the world, finds a fusion and a meeting. And thus the, 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 the mystic uh, presence and the profundity of it has the sense and the feeling of living and being with God. And that no event on this world, in its manifestations coming and going, could possibly change that. And there's a sense of being with God. And the here and now, and being with God, become simultaneous knowing, simultaneous uh, uh, understandings. So sometimes there is a receptivity, as I say, through a mystical language, or a God uh, language, which allows all the events of heart, mind, body and engagement to fall quietly into place. Why? One rests with God. One is being with God. But another may listen to the language of God and the associations with it are completely alien. Buddha himself found it wise and appropriate not to use in the Dharma life the language of God. I think it appears once in volumes and volumes and volumes of, of, of teachings where he once said, 
I found God. And thus used an utterly non-personal language, but still pointing to some element which is freeing and liberating. And in the uh, forsaking of the language there, there can be moments in our life where there is the sense of being in touch with something which is unshakable. Unshakable. And that no matter what goes on in the fluctuations of existence, something, the sense of something unshakable is there regardless of the movement of life. And it can again elicit out of our, out of our being another sense of things which is rather denied to us in the ordinary and the everyday. But it might be, for that kind of sense and contact for that, we may have to change from time to time the engagement or the typical structure of our life. That may be a vital uh, initiative on our part in order to meet that which is not of us, yet is of us. And if we look at our life, in our engagement with life, and we say, seems like I'm just trying to live my life as well and as skillfully as I can and do the right thing from one day to the next. And, and keep my life in accordance with Dharma, to keep my life in accordance with those features of, of uh, wise living Eightfold Path, all of that, and what one wishes to be uh, true to that. All of that is, of course, wonderful and fine and dignified and shows a, a genuine integrity of a, of a human being. But still, the heart and the open of it, opening of it does require of us that we find ourselves and place ourselves in environments which nourish something unusual. Unusual. In the same way as we can be in this, ex in this environment as we have been for several days, and much of the time, for all of us I'm sure, it's just getting on with one's practice, getting on with one's meditation, going through the day, respecting the silence, ethical uh, guidelines, the diligence to be conscious of life because there's no choice in that, there's no alternative in that. Conscious, being conscious is what matters. And then sometimes, quite spontaneously, out of the being, emerges a different sense in which, in that, there's almost the, the silence itself is almost palpable. There's a sense of what it is for human beings to be deep in the silence, that the mind goes quiet, not as a result of uh, effort and, and doing, but it's as it were, it goes quiet of itself, because one is struck and touched by this palpable silence in which we are all resting, in which even the words as they pass through the air don't seem to be like sounds anymore. 
they just seem to be kind of floating formations of vibrations just passing through and it can't do anything to, that, to this palpable silence. And sometimes the whole being is then resting in this silence and in its resting in this, in this silence it's as though there's a different order of meeting and being. And one is glad the words come to rest. And even when the words are flowing, with, or the thoughts through the mind or whatever, it doesn't seem to make anything, any difference to something which is indivisible, undifferentiated, un unbreakable. And that, the intimations of that, the knowing of that, the experiences uh, uh, of that, again, as with God, the same, it allows everything else to fall into place. It gives a, a sense that in spite of all that's going on in life, in some extraordinary way, everything in its truest nature is already complete already. That we can't really add anything to life or subtract anything or whatever. In a way, deep, deep down the nature of things, everything is in place. And it always was. And it rests in place. And the silence can help that to be abundantly clear. The presence of God, for those who love that language, it feels abundantly clear. And therefore, out of that comes a participation or an engagement or, or an, or an act activity which, as it were, wishes to contribute to making that clear, clear to others, clear to life, that it's complete already in some extraordinary way. So if all what I've just said is utterly unfamiliar, and that one just considers the world of the Dharma as the world of practice in its formal sense and living life skillfully, which again is an important and wonderful attribute. But nevertheless, I do think we need to be able to find ways to extend ourselves, to go on retreats, to visit the, the forest, to find uh, the, the desert, to go for long walks, to make time for silence, to go to uh, 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 solitude, to feel the silence, or something which is quietly nourishing. And even though we may do something like that uh, and it doesn't touch, and we never know quite when, how something will shine through in that way, still I would say every drop of willingness and participation allows something to, gives the opportunity for something to shine through. It's as though with our non-attachment to the day-to-day -day things of life, it's not just being non-attached to them, though there's a great deal of wisdom and heartfulness in non-clinging and non-possessiveness, but it simultaneously 
bring something else which is unshakable and steady and indestructible. It brings that to the foreground. And thus, with, finally, with our meditations and the process of uh, the meditation, we say, here yeah, I meditate, I sit, I walk, I stand, I recline, I engage with the moment-to-moment -moment activity. And we explore the movements, as we've been talking about over the days. And then sometimes the movement begins to fade, and we come back to just being meditative. And we can appreciate that meditativeness. And we appreciate the equanimity and the sense of being centered and grounded and present. And there is nothing in that time that we, re we don't feel any pressure of what I must do or what I want to do in those moments. But sometimes the short-livedness of the steadiness means that when we're then pushed back into resolving and working with and working on, and then we come back to the steadiness. The steadiness is beneficial for the whole psyche unto itself, deeply beneficial to consciousness, helps the emotional and feeling life to feel sense of well-being and peace and contentment within. But even with all of that, there's something more important. And what's more important than all of that is that the steadiness, the moments of that steadiness, is that we are extraordinarily close to the truth. The truth which is steady. And even though our mind doesn't feel steady a lot of the time, and our thoughts don't feel steady, and our body doesn't feel steady, or, or whatever, and our attention is pulled and spends so much time in unsteadiness, so to speak, the very steadiness itself, it's as though something in the steadiness is trying to reveal. Trying, so to speak, to make something extraordinarily clear to us. That truth is one. It has no second. It's utterly steady. It's not my truth. It doesn't belong to me. I can't organize it. I can't have it. It is truth and it's steady as steady can be. And it's shared equally everywhere. Belongs and resides equally everywhere and it's steady, steady, uh, despite whatever. So in our steadiness, we're actually closer to that knowing and that understanding than we think. Than we think. The thought may arise in that steadiness, oh, I seem so far away from. I seem to have such a long way to go along this path. Or oh, whatever. But the preciousness of that steadiness is, as I say, we're closer to the truth than what we think. And then that informs our being in the world. It informs our activities. It informs our life. It informs our way of seeing 
And we can't say my truth. We can't say that which is indivisible is divisible by saying it's my truth and not somebody else's. So a meditation is a fact for health, well-being, a stress-free, clear, happy existence. Yes, of course it's pointing to that very, very much. And that is a natural outcome of meditation and understanding and the community exploring what it is to be in this world. But all of it, never the end in itself, all of it is what for what? It's for preparation to know what it is to be with God. To know what it is to be with the truth which is undying and unshakable. And the teachings, past, present and future, keep pointing, keep pointing, keep reminding, keep touching, keep influencing, keep affecting us. And never moving away from that which is steady as steady could be. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see the steadiness of all things. May all beings be with the truth. So let's have two or three quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.